0: This morning, an ROV or remote-operated vehicle from the vessel Horizon Arctic discovered the tail cone of the Titan submersible approximately 1,600 feet from the bow of the Titanic on the seafloor. The ROV subsequently found additional debris. In consultation, With experts from within the unified command, the debris is consistent with the catastrophic loss of the pressure chamber. Upon this determination, we immediately notified the families. On behalf of the United States Coast Guard and the entire unified command, I offer my deepest condolences to the families.
1: On Thursday afternoon, the U.S. Coast Guard gave a tragic update on the missing submersible.
2: Yeah, so we, we learned Thursday afternoon that uh, pressure was lost in the Titan, uh, and all five people on board are presumed to be dead. Um, they were on their way to the Titanic wreckage in the North Atlantic.
1: This is my colleague Ben Brash. He's been reporting on this for The Post.
2: Yeah, so this was... a. Uh, a previously unknown world to me and I think to a lot of people when they heard that there was a submersible going down to the wreckage of the Titanic. Um, people thought it was only James Cameron and you know, scientists who were doing that. Um, but Oceangate, this company, was bringing tourists down there um, at $250,000 a person uh, to see the ocean floor and to see what has become of the unsinkable Titanic.
1: And Ben has learned that there are surprisingly few rules for companies who take tourists to the depths of the ocean.
2: Yeah, there really aren't as many rules down there as you think there are. I I spoke with one expert, and he called it the lawless ocean. When you're 12 miles off the coast, you're in international waters. uh, There's no one there to police what's going on. There are essentially no rules.
1: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Thursday, June 22nd. Today, Ben and I dig into the wild west of deep sea tourism, and how this sort of travel could be forever changed by this tragedy. Ben also shares what he learned about OceanGate, the company that launched this doomed voyage. Ben, can you just, for us right now, go over some of the basics of of what we've discovered by now? Um, What was this vessel exactly? When did it start its journey? And who was on board?
2: Yeah, so those on board include uh, the CEO of Ocean Gate and then two longtime adventurers, one of whom was nicknamed Mr. Titanic, um, and then uh, a businessman and his 19-year-old son. Um, The vessel lost contact Uh, Sunday with its mothership, about 900 miles off the coast from Cape Cod. Um, This is roughly like the size of a minivan, basically, the submersible. Um, It's cramped in there, and there's not a lot of light. Um, Heading down there to see the wreckage of the Titanic, ultimately the Titan, the vessel they were in, was discovered about 1,600 feet from the bow of the Titanic on the seafloor.
1: You know, Ben, over the last several days, ever since this story and this situation has come to light, it's really gripped the world's attention. And I don't know about you, but I was actually quite surprised to learn that there was such a thing as deep-sea tourism. And you have been reporting on this company that operated this vessel. What have you learned about the company?
2: Yeah, this is a world not a lot of people know about. So what this company uh, does, since 2009, OceanGate has been working to explore the deep seas and show people the previously unknown parts of our ocean. Um, they, they operate these tours. Uh, they're not cheap. It's a quarter million. It's $250,000 a person. So that is obviously prohibitive for the vast majority of humans. It's intense. This is a for a lot of people, once-in-a-lifetime experience, although people do this multiple times. It seems like people kind of get hooked on this world.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like extreme tourism, almost like space tourism in a way, right?
2: It's a really fair comparison. The clientele and the energy is the same, you know, going to see something that most people have only dreamt of. I spoke with uh, Matt Tulloch, who uh, has been down to Titanic four times, and uh, and he actually has worked closely with PH, one of the men aboard the submersible. But yeah, Matt described this this other world.
1: I think there is a fair comparison to be made to what this sort of diving is like to space travel in that, you know, inevitably there are going to be barriers that are broken and steps that you take to try to get a little bit further. And inevitably in the process of doing that, there are accidents that happen, there's catastrophes that happen, right? And it, it's sort of unfortunately, the nature of the business. And um, these guys, I think, were definitely on the edge of that.
2: You know, Matt talked about how this company, OceanGate, has pushed the boundaries for what is known at the ocean floor and, and what is safe. And he talked about the potential sacrifice. Later on, he compared it to Chuck Yeager breaking the speed of sound and how if there are people who are passionate enough, they will always go to that extreme. But at the end of the day, these are people who were on board. There was a nineteen-year-old kid on board,
1: and also on this vessel, Ben was the CEO of OceanGate. What do we know about him?
2: Yeah, he was an incredibly interesting guy. He's a very experienced uh, aerospace uh, expert. He um, he was really outspoken about disrupting the submersible industry, uh, most of which is commercial in nature, and you know he was doing tourism trips. Uh, but for the most part, most of these submersibles are people laying cable and pipe on the ocean. You know, a small fraction of people are taking tourists down. But that's what his company, OceanGate, was committed to doing. Uh, they were really committed to exploring the ocean floor.
1: And Ben, did you learn anything about how the CEO, what his views were on this sort of um, deep-sea travel? and? You know, you said he was outspoken, and, and what were his feelings about it?
2: Yeah, he thought that a lot of times the submersible world was overregulated. He thought that, um, y- you know, s- these were redundancies on top, of redundancies that, uh, you know, a, a trained mariner and pilot um, would be just fine as long as their equipment was was okay.
0: There's certain things that you want to be uh, buttoned down. So the pressure vessel is not MacGyver at all because that's where we work with Boeing and NASA
1: and the University of Washington. Everything else can fail. Your thrusters can go. Your lights can go.
0: You're still going to be safe.
1: Ben, what has OceanGate said about all of this, especially now that we know what generally the, the outcome has been?
2: Yeah, I didn't get a comment for my story about the regulatory environment, and Oceangate, but the company did release a statement on Thursday. These men were true explorers who shared a distinct spirit of adventure and a deep passion for exploring and protecting the world's oceans. Our hearts are with these five souls and every member of their families during this tragic time. He went on to say that this is a very sad time for the entire explorer community.
1: Yeah, and in watching the press conference this afternoon as well, there, there was a question about about safety, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Rear admiral uh, Mauger addressed just that.
0: Those questions uh, about uh, the uh, regulations that apply and, and uh, the standards, uh, that's going to be, I'm sure, a uh, focus of future uh, review. Uh, right now, uh, we're focused on uh, documenting uh, the, the scene and, and continuing the, the subfloor operation.
1: Ben, how safe is this sort of travel in general? Because now we know that this mission, it was not safe.
2: Yeah, so commercially, experts tell me it's an incredibly safe way of traveling, that there's not a lot of incidents that happen. And they say that's because of the regulation.
1: Well, Ben, help me understand that, because aren't there not many regulations about this sort of travel?
2: Yeah, you've, You've, like, pinpointed the crux of a lot of this. You know, there are laws to make sure that you're not jaywalking, right? And you see jaywalking every day. Right. So this is infinitely more complex, but not dissimilar. So we have an American-made vessel launching on a Canadian ship from a Canadian port. There was this law in 1993 that was passed in the U.S. that does not apply international waters. All the laws that we have passed in this country don't apply once you're, you know, 12 miles offshore, you're in international waters.
1: So it's like, it's like, um, we have this jaywalking law, but as soon as you go out into international waters, yeah, there's the law, but no one's enforcing it. And it's not even applicable once you're out there.
2: Right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no cops. I mean, look, there is piracy, there is sea slavery, right. there is right. whaling, there's so many illegal things happening on our beautiful waters. It's hard to enforce what can't be seen. And it's, yeah, it's just really complex.
1: And, and so what about the vessel itself? Are there any sort of regulations around the construction of the vessels? Like, is is there anyone who's basically enforcing any sort of standard? And are there any sort of standards when it comes to the vessels themselves? Even if it's, you know, once they're out in the ocean, maybe no one's enforcing it.
2: The answer is there's no international submersible, you know, agency that that blesses these, these submersibles. What they do have is these agencies that Classify. their their classing agencies, as they're called. And what mm-hmm. they do is they work with you from the design stage. They look at your drawings. They say yes, no. And if you want to pass their inspection initially, you work with them and you pay a hefty fee, and your vehicle gets blessed by this agency. And now, notably, um, in 2019... Oceangate, on its own blog, put out a post that said, why isn't Titan classed? Hmm. And in it, they explained why that is. They said, what these classification agencies do is they will class a vehicle, but it doesn't weed out subpar mariners. And they say that, you know, most of the incidents that happen out there are from people and not the machines themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially, to use, like, the plane analogy is, okay, you can um, inspect our, our plane, but in, in this sort of travel, really the source of um, any danger is the pilot. It's the person running, running the show. It's not the vessel itself, basically.
2: That's right. That, that is their argument that a vast majority of the marine and aviation accidents are operator error and not mechanical failure, according to the blog post.
1: And to be clear, these regulations and what you're talking about, classing, these are voluntary. No one has to do this, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the reason you would want to do this is mostly for insurance purposes. It puts Mm. insurance companies at ease if your vehicle is classed uh, because obviously there's this third party that has deemed it safe.
1: It does seem wild to me that Um, There are no regulations or standards that are enforced, that these are, in fact, voluntary standards for this sort of travel.
2: Yet, when I was talking to a professor of maritime transportation at Campbell University, uh, he said he read the blog post uh, and he said it made me want to punch the screen a few times. He was so frustrated, like, why would you not just go this extra mile, just anything to push it further to learn more, to plumb deeper.
1: After the break, Ben tells me about the previous safety concerns raised at OceanGate. We'll be right back. Ben, has anyone raised concerns previously about safety for Ocean Gate vessels? Absolutely.
2: So we are finding out that there are lawsuits, uh, one of which dates back to 2018. Um, Companies sued a former employee for sharing confidential information, for um, raising the flag on some things that concern this employee about the submersibles. His name is David Lockridge. He, he countersued and yeah, he expressed concerns about how safe these submersibles are and and the quality control processes at OceanGate.
1: And what was the conclusion of that lawsuit?
2: That Lockridge lawsuit settled and the details aren't exactly clear.
1: Mm -hmm. Were you able to talk to anyone else about this company? I'm imagining it's a travel company. It's doing something pretty intense. Have there been any reviews or has anyone else been out there talking about OceanGate?
2: Yeah, people who've uh, toured with Oceangate, um, have said it's an incredible experience, and, but also some have said that it was scary. There's this pretty incredible clip from CBS last year, where one of the reporters actually went along on a mission with Oceangate, and he narrates the release form that he had to sign to go down. An experimental submersible vessel that has not been approved or certified by any regulatory body and could result in physical injury, disability, emotional trauma, or death. Where do I sign?
1: And it's important at this point that we really just reiterate that we don't know exactly what went wrong here, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's crucial. We don't know how this happened. And to assign any blame is way premature. What we do know is that five people have died.
1: Ben, I also think we should say that this story has really captivated a lot of people's attention around the world, and that's something that has been criticized as well. But I'm wondering why you think it is that this story about this vessel that went to the bottom of the ocean, why is this something that so many people have been paying such close attention to? People love
2: a mystery. It's easy to lose sight that there are human beings involved when it's so abstract. But people love a mystery. It's hardwired into us. Uh, people also want to know if their fellow humans are okay. That's a whole other part of this. But others hear about this fantastical voyage to the bottom of the ocean. You know, that's like the stuff that they write science fiction books and movies about. Um, when you have a group of people who are missing for the amount of time that these five were, it creates a huge amount of interest. And people are curious. There's well-wishers, and there's detractors, and there's always going to be both. But inside the submersible community, which is really tiny, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who is on Titan. And there's only five people aboard, so that should tell you how tiny of a world this is. But in general, those who don't know someone, they're just interested by things that they don't understand.
1: And Ben, is there a greater public interest into the regulations and standards around this sort of travel? Because I guess, you know, there is something to this notion that it is dangerous and the people who are taking this on, you know, they're making a decision about their own safety and their own lives. But is there a greater public interest as to whether there should be more regulations and whether there should be more tighter controls on this sort of travel.
2: All the experts I talked to say there's about to be a lot more interest in this space. They say that they think that there could be more laws that are created because of it. I mean when Titanic itself went down, there's this huge law that SOLUS that was passed that required you know, the appropriate amount of lifeboats on vessels. And, you know, experts I talk to say there could be this renewed push for regulation around this industry because of what we're seeing right now on Titan.
1: Ben, thanks so much for taking time today to speak with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Ben Brash is a reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Maggie Penman, with help from Jordan Marie Smith and Alana Gordon. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.